Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. This episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, the dark forest, and death's end. If you don't want to be spoiled on future events, please skip this episode. This is season three, episode three, The Spell, where we will be discussing all of part two of The Dark Forest by Lucy Xin. My name is Amin, and I have only read up to the current point, but I also don't mind spoilers. Hi, this is Dan. I've read the entire series. Hi, this is Talia. I've listened to the entire series, and I'm rereading along with the spoiler cast. Um, yeah, so just quickly, let's go over what happened in these chapters. So a lot of things happened. This is a pretty consequential pivot point in the in the series, in the book and the series. Um, so for, we have Tyler's uh, double slash triple cross program that is revealed, and he eventually kills himself at Loetji's house. We have the U- the UN saying they, I guess the the PDC setting saying they set up uh, Zhang Yuan the whole time and tells Loetji to get to work. Uh, he does and realizes the dark, dark force theory, which he tests by sending a quote unquote spell to a star 50 light years away. Zhang Beihai kills all the old school scientists who are researching the old school methods of uh, rocket propulsion and engine technology by simulating a meteorite shower using fashioned bullets out of meteorites. Heinz and Keiko figure out the mental seal and try to implant a quote unquote faith in victory. Keiko figures out what he's doing at the last minute. And Diaz goes full villain and plans to destroy the solar system so that no one can have it. Says he's going to blow up New York City if they don't let him go. And they do, but his people are stunned to death anyway. Off of a post I saw on Reddit, uh, I had an idea that I thought was an interesting prompt of, if we had to choose a wall facer, given the parameters of the wall facer program, that's mm-hmm. basically no parameters, who would you choose? I think that I would probably choose someone who Lucician would probably approve of because he's a writer as well. He's a novelist. I would probably choose someone with really big ideas who could face the end and the annihilation of Earth without really flinching. And to me, that was Douglas Adams, um, mm. who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide. And I think he might be able to get us out of here and would be a less bleak choice than choosing, like you've mentioned on the main show, choosing like hyper-military forces, since we've already seen that fail with one suicide and like more... <laughs> in this coming episode that we're going to talk about just ends very poorly. So I try and go into like a soft power. How about you, Dan? I was trying to think of not a military person, but a person who I considered to be very smart and very strategic and was able to kind of think in like multidimensional, like in a multidimensional way, because like we're fighting an enemy we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so my best guess was a chess grandmaster named Magnus Carlsen, who I thought you know, was famously is super smart about like being able to mm-hmm. uh, remember and you know plan strategies like millions of moves in the head right like basically like after the first move in a chess game he'll have it all figured out that kind of like multi-dimensional thinking would be really useful in planning out kind of strategy where you need to you know face an enemy where you have no idea what they're going to do next i like both of your suggestions so my suggest my thought was someone who is no longer alive but uh, I wanted someone who could think about problems creatively and come up with solutions that are less than obvious. So were he still alive, I would go with someone like Steve Jobs, uh, mm. someone who understands technology, but really is more of a, in my mind, more of a problem solver and let him see what he might be able to come up with. I feel like that could go either very well or very poorly. that could really fork yeah i think that maybe an entrepreneur especially a tech entrepreneur would be more accepted in a society rather than like a a chess master or an author 
So especially since we're going to be seeing in part two how society is responding to like the Wallfacer plan, I think it's a good prompt for us to think about. And I wanted to know if you read the Reddit post, was there like one approved answer that you could weigh in on? I don't think so. I mean, it, the consensus the the consensus choice seemed to be Elon Musk, right? Like that was like the most answered one. Or there was another one. It was like Mr. Bean, so that was pretty <laughs> interesting. And that was like <laughs> it got me thinking about like who would be like the most ridiculous wall facer. And I was like, who would be incomprehensible to both humanity and Tristellaris? And like my best answer was like maybe Tom Green. Like <laughs> <laughs> no one have any idea what he's doing. And like well, Jay Z, part, part of the plan, I guess. <laughs> Renaissance man. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of plans, I talked about this a little bit on the the main show. Uh, one of our readers, Frank, he he kind of cued us into the original plan that Tyler had. For people who maybe don't listen to the main show, but listen to this, this is one. The main just, uh, and I know there's a spoiler cast, but there's a spoiler for Ball Lightning. So if you haven't read Ball Lightning, I'll put a, a note in the chapter uh, markings. You can skip this, but this will have spoilers for Ball Lightning. Anyway, so the idea is that the uh, to go over it really briefly, Ball Lightning is kind of like a, a mythical weapon, but it's a weapon within the universe of Leo Shin's universe. Um, he has another book called Ball Lightning, and the idea is that like it kind of changes the the quantum state, I guess, of of molecules and and stuff it interacts with. And so Tyler's original plan was that he's going to unleash Ball Lightning uh, on the, the space force, which would look like it annihilates them, but it actually just moving him into the quantum state where he figured they would be uh, invulnerable to any attack. The problem is that uh, once you're in the quantum state, it kind of decays after a little while and like it eventually just fades away. So they eventually, he basically kills all of them and uh, hopes that like their training will make them still want to attack the Trislarence, even though they know they're in the quantum state and they don't have that much time to lift, but uh, they would want to kind of for the benefit of earth still attack the trisolarians in the quantum state and so you know i think it's an interesting plan it's a little bit i mean it's a lot more technical and a lot more kind of relying on prior knowledge of of lisa shin's work but yeah i mean uh, talia I, I i know that you weren't on the main show so i had what, what do you think of this plan versus the tyler's actual plan yeah i did listen to the main show but you know shout out to people who only listen to this show I'm talking about mm-hmm. my parents of course um <laughs> i was not very impressed by the ball lightning plan. Uh, I think you went over a couple of the aspects, like quantum state not being something that's very well understood and therefore it sort of being harder to break the suspension of disbelief. But I think a bigger problem is that it's just kind of flat. Like, yes, it relies on new technology, but the base plan is like rely on soldiers training. And for a long time, military generals have been putting soldiers in like unescapable positions and relying on their training. Like we're going to trap you in this unescapable terrain, but keep fighting for your country. And that's already happened. So that's not hard to believe. It's just not very interesting. So I I don't mind the edit into English cutting it out. One of the the ideas that Frank had is like why they didn't do this plan originally is because this Ball Lightning wasn't translated to English by the time uh, this book came out. English readers would have had no idea what they're even talking about, like unless like you're a super hardcore uh, assistant fan and, and was able to read it in Chinese or you know whatever. But yeah, so I think that is a good call to kind of change it around. But interestingly, like I found that when I was looking at the book, Joel Martinson, the guy who did the translation for yeah. uh, Dark Force, actually did the translation for Ball Lightning too. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if like that he did it because he's he was like interested enough in that plan or maybe just in the good graces of uh him and ken leo are the approved translators i guess for his works i haven't read ball lightning i don't know if you have i mean i have not no 
But I, di- I did start it after Dan mentioned it, I think last week, maybe the week before. And there's a reason I haven't finished it, even though we're recording <laughs> the next podcast. I just think it's a less successful work. And oh, yeah. I mean, I read The Remembrance of Earth's Past. I, I could read it nightly, honestly, but <laughs> Ball Lightning is just, it's very hard to advance in. It's just, yeah. I'm very glad that this is the one that we are building a podcast around. <laughs> So when you say hard, like, is it like too like technical to like a lot of the reason that this series is so successful, because it's not just like scientific concepts, but it's scientific concepts married with like uh, personality and like society stuff. Like there's a lot of things that go into this book and that's just like tech, tech porn. Right. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. like is ball lightning mm-hmm. more in that, that vein? I wouldn't say so. I mean, first of all, the, all the action centers around atmospheric physics, which is the weather. So mm. it's harder to buy into than like humanity's future among the stars. Yeah. And it's all written from the first person, which maybe I'm a little bit prejudiced, but I find a little dull after mm. a while. And it's just, since there's really only one character so far, we have to rely on him to tell us everything about this universe. And he's like, this is the kind of person that my professor is. He's the kind of person who refuses to see any progress. And I'm like, well, you could show me that. Because it, like, it's very, I just like take your word for it. And then, I don't know, I just was not that impressed. Maybe it will have some transformation and redeem itself in the second half of the book. But you'll have to wait until next week. <laughs> um, well, so the next thing I want to talk about was the, some of the, when I was noticing some, when I was like kind of reading through this and like uh, trying to take notes and stuff. So a- after, I'm, I'm going to read more of the quotes. So after uh, Zhang Beihai's assassination of the scientist, the ETO talks about, talks about it. So they say, um, are we just going to sit by and let him do this? Einstein asked. In accordance with the Lord's intentions, that's all we can do. The man is an extremely stubborn holdout and a triumphalist. And the Lord doesn't want us to interfere with, uh, interfere unnecessarily with that type of human. Our attention must be focused on escapism. The Lord believes that defeatism, defeatism is more dangerous than triumphalism. But yeah, I just thought that that part was interesting and like still setting it up uh, that he's still a triumphalist, right? And it's interesting that like the Trisolarians are so fooled by John Behai and like and really don't care about triumphalism. But I don't know. I think like this reads particularly because I'm trying to like give clues, I guess, <laughs> on the podcast about John Behai and like but like not being too obvious about it. Um, and this seemed like a pretty interesting one to me. Definitely. I mean, you have to believe that Trisolaris understands like more than humankind does. And I don't know that we have reason to believe that. But if you do, you'll understand that, yes, defeatism is actually more dangerous. And yes, you know, we've seen how incredible the Trisolarian ships are later on. And we know that, yes, human fighters, whether they're alive or quantum, are really not going to pose. They're just like flicking pebbles at a tank. So they actually are right on both of those counts. I don't know that it gives me a clue about Zhang Beihai, but I mean, I'm glad that his feet got some attention since it would have just gone down completely unnoticed since he left no trace. I hope we get to talk a little bit about that assassination in this show because that was just so cool. I mean, did you read it this week? It seemed like an overly complex plan. So I understand that he didn't want it to be traceable, but it seemed like going through all the trouble to buy meteors and then shape them into bullets and, and do all that kind of stuff seemed, again, it, it was it was clever in a James Bond villain type of way, but I don't villain. know. Villain? I, I think there might have been a more practical way to do this besides meteor bullets. 
unless this leads to something else. If this is just a one-off thing, then it seemed overly elaborate. I mean, it was cool, but it seemed overly elaborate. I disagree. I think there's more characterization in the meteor seller than in like all of Bald Lightning as a book. I think I immediately <laughs> believe that that meteor seller is a person, and like I don't know, the bargaining makes sense. The meteor seller, like being able to understand what he thinks is a hundred percent, like oh, okay, so you want something that you can engrave, but not actually being able to ascertain Zhang Beihai's real plan is like very clever. Uh, I think that it is complex, but it's sort of necessarily complex because it's such early days for humans in space. Like later in the third book, we can see someone can just like hop on a space elevator, go up like a normal civilian can do that. But now he has to rely on being a military trained personnel and having lobbied for them to spend time in space because that was like not a given. And then he has to go into this sparsely populated area where there's not really life support and he has to just rely on his little spacesuit propellers. And you see when he's actually reaching out his hand to shoot, like he's in the empty vacuum of space. He would yeah. freeze his hand off. So he has to like angle his hand next to the light of the sun so that the sun's rays can keep his hand from freezing. I just think like it's such a primitive world that he's in. I think like the human part has to be really complex. The the major thing that I saw was that his whole plan is like really like a long term thing, right? Like he's already angling to like get to be able to hibernate so he can go into into the future to kind of execute his plan, right? And so he it's really, really important to him that he doesn't get caught because obviously if he was caught by murdering people, he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be in the good graces of the military, wouldn't be up for was it the future reinforcements uh, contingent or whatever mm. they're called. And so he really has to be really careful about the not not getting caught and so it's interesting that the trisolarans like had a chance to like out him and like just could have like put it on the news or the eto could have put it on the news like they do all the other wall breaker plans and saying hey by the way john behai murdered a bunch of people <laughs> you know and like maybe people wouldn't have believed it maybe they would have uh but maybe there would be enough doubt where they don't get sent in the future ultimately like that's kind of the downfall of the trisolarans right like that leads to the you know john behai being able to go to hibernation it leads to him being able to escape it leads to the gravity eventually like sending that broadcast so in like, and then the humans like you know becoming the galactic race so if they had just not been kind of short-sighted i guess they they could have they probably could have saved their civilization or their planet for a little while anyway did all of this need to happen in outer space like is this going to have implications in the future like could could he have taken them to the bottom of the ocean and killed them all and not been traced in some other way or nah i mean that part was just i think that that's just cool <laughs> they did it in space <laughs> i think aesthetic. like aesthetic yeah i mean the the i mean there's a lot of talk of a, I think even in this chapter about like how the future reinforcements need to start getting training in space, you know, because like ultimately when they go into the future, they're going to be, you know, in space primarily, right? Yeah, so, but that's just a ruse. I mean, he's just yeah. like lobbying, saying anything. <laughs> he's promising the world just like, yeah, no, it's super important that I, you know, get into space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say like, I might be grasping, but uh, I mean, brings up a point like, did it have to be in space or could it have been like on Earth or just somewhere where you could have disposed of people? And we kind of see this echoing in the third book when we see this man from the common era who's hibernated and um, is facing the protagonist of the third book. And he is holding a gun from the common era. And his explanation is like, guns are monitored now, you know, 200 years in the future. 
Mm, You can't just shoot people willy nilly because like everything is tracked. So we do need something old school or maybe we need to like drag people up into space and just have it be less traceable because this assassination is, except for Sophon's, completely untraceable. Yeah, less cameras. I don't know, there's less cameras in space. Like it seems like to be probably pretty monitored but they also talked about like there's a lot of activity happening um on the the bases up there like people flying back and forth a lot of space debris that's why i thought he'd go unnoticed i think and plus like it makes it seem like an accident right but yeah i mean no one can hear you scream (laughs) but it is a you know i I, I will admit that it is a complicated plan (laughs) but it's a cool one yeah that's fair but let's go back on earth since i know you have also written about secretary general say and we're back to like the wall facers in this whole chapter or part one thing i also noticed like and i don't know if this actually like is part of it but you know i'm gonna read another passage that i copied Mm. um so it says uh and i think this is at the end of the the chapter when they're kind of like wrapping up everyone's story and they say after leaving her second term secretary say launched the human memorial project whose goal was the comprehensive collection of data and commemorative artifacts of the human civilization that would ultimately be sent out into the cosmos and unnamed spacecraft. So that reminded me of the Pluto project. So for, I mean, and maybe other people who don't care about spoilers, uh, at the end of the third book, the basically all humans, uh, they sent all their artifacts, like their precious artifacts, like the Mona Lisa and that kind of stuff to Pluto uh, for preservation because they figured like that's the best place to that's the most safe place in the in the solar system. I don't know if this is a kind of a precursor to that, or maybe like just a lot of humans have this kind of plan. I think, yeah, it's been a human plan for a while. I don't know whether anyone would have trusted their kooky plan to this early stage. <laughs> Be like, yeah, take the Mona Lisa, just launch it into space. Take the Qingming Shanghao too. That's fine. Um, but yeah, it definitely could have been, I mean, like proof that this does work interesting echo i thought like so i don't know like how much you know foreshadowing he's actually trying to put in there like like all my my reading into dimensionality and like oh i think that is i think that is on purpose do you think like in the three-body problem he had the idea of like oh by the time the book the series ends like the solar system going to collapse into two dimensions i don't know maybe i mean some kind of catastrophic beautiful end necessarily in the like ming dynasty the late ming dynasty when a censor is criticizing a eunuch it's like in 1600s or so he does account like a list of crimes from the eunuch and he says a slip of paper in the dead of night can kill a man and mm. humanity's end is a slip of paper so i think there mm. is some like foreshadowing because he knows that humanity will end or at least be destroyed in this like beautiful but oddly sinister small way not by a bomb <laughs> And interesting, like, it's like the slip of paper happens after, like, the whole world has, like, risen up to the idea of, like, creating bunkers and, like, just, like, this big technology um, uh, project to, like, build these bunker projects and, like, these really expensive elaborate things. And the slip of paper comes and just destroys everything. Mm. I'm sure this will this will be revealed soon enough because I actually started reading the next the next chapter uh, to get ready for the next episode. But so so the spell that is that is put on the star what Ooh, ends up happening yeah. with that is that is that a red herring or is that just is does something actually happen with that what makes you think it might be a red herring i mean because i don't believe in spells and this world has not established that witchcraft is a real thing it's an ancient joke that's what they they keep saying in the right. in the beginning of this chapter yeah. <laughs> but there have been spells for like all of human history how could i get people to come and you know 
cater my witch doctor, if not by putting a spell <laughs> on them. So I wouldn't uh, necessarily say you can't have spells. But do you actually want to say what happens to Alia? I'll let you take that one. <laughs> oh, sure. So he does make a big deal about like, wake me up when the spell works. And maybe a little anticlimactically, he's woken up and he's like, aha, so the spells worked. And they're like, what? What, <laughs> what spell? What are you talking about? So people have forgotten about it, uh, but it does eventually work. And the fact that it takes a little bit longer than he expected also ends up having some interesting ramifications for Earth's future. And it basically becomes sort of a threat both to humankind and trisolarian kind that this could happen to them. So do you want to say what happens? Is, yeah, isn't what is that this? enough? <laughs> <laughs> um, so a star is a huge, you know, source of energy in the cosmos. It has like, you know, it's internal fusion. And if it's disrupted, you don't really need a bomb. You can just use what's already in a solar system to destroy everything in that system. And that is indeed what happens. A small object is flicked at this star and that causes it to just explode. He talked a lot about like the coordinates of those stars, right? And so the spell is like he just broadcasted the coordinates of that star yeah, using the, the flicking of the, mm -hmm. the photoid towards a star. And basically the whole conceit of the book is called the dark forest because in the dark forest, like you don't think about other people in the dark forest. You just attack first. So you're not attacked by yourself. So his idea in this spell is like, I'm going to broadcast the coordinates of the star into into space and probably someone's going to pick it up and probably they're going to say like oh this is a this is a civilization let's just destroy it so that's why he didn't want to do it too close to earth because if he broadcasted the mm -hmm. location of the, of the sun they would just blown up the sun right or something that's close enough to this even trisolaris is too close it's too close right? that's right yeah so that's why he did it 50 light years away and then uh, eventually, because it takes like 50 years for it to get there and 50 years for the light to get back, I think it's not that long after after he wakes up that, that the star is destroyed and they see it they see it destroyed. So that's the, and that's the spell. And then humanity is like, oh my God, the spell worked. <laughs> but I should say we have no reason to believe that anyone on Earth or anyone on Trisolaris knows who, you know, destroyed the star. It's just sort of becomes yeah. known that this is what happens if you're exposed. You'll just be annihilated. And they won't pay you the dignity or the courtesy of telling you who they are. They'll just like eliminate you. So who who is they? Who is the one doing this, mm. destroying the stars? Big question, so huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone, one person, one super advanced species. Yeah. You don't know. Point is, it's just a dangerous world. Yeah. So if you remember like the axioms of cosmic sociology, one of them was uh, that everyone is like for their own preservation. And the other other is that there's finite number of there's like finite number of resources in the in the universe. Right. Probably there's like billions of civilizations and who knows how many of those uh, billions and billions of civilizations have technology advanced enough or more advanced than ours to like destroy solar systems. So it's it's hard for us to know. But the, the point is that like if your location is known, it's just easier for them to just blow it up um, rather than even having to worry about like, well, is this an advanced civilization? It's, well, are they going to be a threat to us eventually? Same way, like the Earth broadcasts their, their coordinates. And because of that, the Trisolarians go, cool, let's take that over. Like other civilizations don't want that to happen to them. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of, yeah, it's a big deal for not only this book, for the rest of the series um, to, and, you know, in the next book, especially like, but once, once, uh, once Trisolaris realizes that Luaji knows how to do that or knows this dark forest principle, like that's why they consider him so dangerous because, you know, now they can say, oh, well, you know, oh my God, you know, he knows about this principle. He can broadcast the, tri the, 
the coordinates of Trisolaris and we can mm -hmm. get destroyed, right? Um, and so that becomes like a huge plot point in the in the next book. I will say in this book, though, it's on page 211, if you're reading along at home, we do see the first evidence of Luoji realizing this potential in himself. And he reads, I'd once had a notion to work on cosmic sociology because then a small voice deep in, within him said, you're a wall facer. This is the first time he had heard that voice. So for mm. the first time, he acts like a wall facer and swallows his words and sort of realizes how powerful cosmic sociology is i mean i actually kind of had a question for you too like you know i know we threw a lot of like spoilers at you like and you know a lot of like and there's a lot of story that we're trying to unfold in like a little bit of time here um like how much does it actually like resonate with you does like does it actually help like what, what you're currently reading or is this kind of like well that, i'll that'll be interesting when we get to it it does help i like not i like i, I don't mind knowing what's going to happen because to me it's it's similar to what i think talia said either last episode or the episode before about how when you reread it, you pick up new things. Uh, this way I can pick up new things on my first reading. <laughs> um, I would pick up things that I wouldn't pick up otherwise. So I don't think it affects me in a negative way to, to know these types of things. And you two do share a lot of information and some of it <laughs> I forget to be, to be quite honest. And then I get to that part in the book and I'm like, Oh yeah, I should have known that. But um, <laughs> the, the big things like, like this whole thing with the spell, I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, I think I think I think specifically like as you're reading it, like just kind of keep it in mind, like yeah, like this kind of the spell is like a real thing. Like he doesn't know it's a real thing either. It's like it's pretty much a guess. It has you know at this point for him, but yeah, it does become basically the catalyst for the entire next book. You know, the spell is like kind of like a a test case for the understanding of the dark force principle, and let's eventually call it deterrence. So like they call it deterrence because like. Lua G says, hey, by the way, I can broadcast your coordinates to, uh, to, to the universe and they can blow you up. And so like they kind of come to like a, a mutually mutually beneficial you know, arrangement saying, all right, well, we're not going to keep a attacking the Earth and you don't broadcast the, the coordinates. But I think it's definitely like Arthur C. Clarke's first, like Clarke's first law, like any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that we have that 300 years ago would be spells like we're talking here from thousands of miles apart so oh, i don't think it's a problem for it to be a spell yeah that's that's and i i didn't put those, that together but that's an interesting maybe that's why do you know in the chinese is it also called us like something similar to a spell or is it something different oh i should reread or you can ask frank i suspect it would be a yeah. spell i know we're going to talk a little bit more chinese in this episode so i'm pretty excited yeah we can talk about that now it's more of a silly thing um, so as I was reading this, there there was like a, a the, I'll just read the original text. This was in um, Zhang Beihai. And, I thought uh, you were about to bust out the Chinese. All right, you're going to read oh, the no, no. text in English. No, I'll read the English. I can't read that. I I copy and paste the Chinese. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can pick out like one or two characters and that's oh, about it. <laughs> but yeah, the this is when uh, Zhang Beihai and, uh, and Chang Wei Si, I think, are talking um, uh, after... Or no, no, this is Heinz and, um, and Chang Wei Si are talking about the... Um, the mental seal program. Anyway, so the quote is, uh, Doctor, I really applaud your unique ideas, and perhaps this is where the real answer lies. Thank you. All of us are basically Flintstones. And I was like, there's no way Chinese people know who the Flintstones are. <laughs> it's like, th th that had to be like a, a, a translation, right? And so I picked up like from Google Translate, and so Google Translate says, it, it translates it as, Doctor, I really appreciate your unique thinking. Maybe this is really the key. Thank you. We really are modern primitive people. 
And then my wife, who's Chinese, I also asked her, like, do you have any idea what the Flintstones are? And she's like, she had no idea. And I had her read the original Chinese too. And she says, yeah, modern, primitive people. Mm. And so, yeah, like, it's an interesting choice that Joel Martinson went to go with the Flintstones. Like, I don't know why he made that choice. That's weird. Um, it feels like some, even saying, like, stone age would be like more comprehensible than or like caveman or something right yeah Yeah. (laughs) like something that's like not quite as specifically not chinese right like i know chinese people watch american cartoons and like i'm sure like mickey mouse and whoever is popular the flintstones aren't popular enough yeah like the big deal the (laughs) big deal but not the flintstones i didn't even catch that so you are an eagle-eyed reader dan (laughs) and not not only that i bet you there are Americans under a certain age. Right. Who have no idea who the Flintstones are. So actually I had another question for Talia. Like as we're talking to, you know, talking through these plans and like I'm trying to think of like as I was reading it, if I was able to come up with any of these plans, like I think to me, like every single plan was surprising and I had no idea about any of them. But like there are context clues, you know, I mm-hmm. think for all of them. But he does, I think, intentionally try to throw curveballs at you by like having uh Tyler's and, you know, like the triple cross <laughs> uh plan. Were you able to kind of suss out any of these programs uh, as as you were reading it, or was it a complete surprise to you when they were well broken? I think I'd probably echo people on the main show. Like the easiest to maybe guess the contours were the earlier plans. I sort of thought there might be some kind of double cross, or like someone would turn on Earth or pretend to turn on Earth. That was a guess, but I, as the plans continued, I couldn't have guessed them. Um, I have no idea that if you blow up enough chunks of mercury. You could cause mercury to fall into the sun. Like, I just read it and I'm like, yeah, sounds good. I mean, I take your word for it. And as for the more sophisticated plans like John Behai's and Heinz, I actually do think it's possible to crack them. Like, again, if you have to believe what the Trisolarans believe, which is that defeatism is more dangerous. And so you'd have to believe that a successful plan would follow defeatism, not triumphalism. And maybe that's laid out really clearly. And maybe I wouldn't understand Yun Tianming's fairy tales if I were on the committee because I didn't catch the (laughs) metaphor. But I was not able to guess any of the plans. I'm trying to like, as I'm rereading Heinz's story, to see if there's any clues about him you know, his, his eventual plan. I don't think there are. Keiko had, you know, in the, in the later chapter says, oh yeah, like I could see it in your eyes. And I saw it in like the other people's eyes, like the same way after they come out of the space center. But like, I don't think they talk about that. Maybe like it's different because it's the English translation or whatever. Like maybe it's more clear in the Chinese translation or it's, it's, it's set up a little bit differently to me. Like, I don't think there was any ways that you could have told, especially like uh, Heinz's plan and, you know, maybe Tyler's, maybe, maybe Dia. Diaz, I think, is kind of comes out of left field on purpose, too. Like, you know, like, it's going to be about bombs and they're blowing stuff up. Like, I don't think you're supposed to know that it's going to, he's going to hold the universe hostage or the, the source system hostage. Yeah, I, I really don't think there's any way you could really tell um, Hyde's plan. John P. Hyde, maybe, maybe you can tell. Again, like, they, they hammer the point so hard about him being a triumphalist. I think it'd be really difficult, unless you were, like, really looking for it, to think about anything differently. Yeah, I mean, their two plans are thematically linked, even though the characters, like, probably never meet. It's all yeah. about you need to escape because you cannot win. So I think they right. both approach that. So if you've like cracked that, then you could probably see both of their plans. Although even when I, you know, because like they, they talk about Heinz and like pretty much the beginning of the next part, John has at the end of the next part. And I wouldn't, I didn't catch it when I first read it. <laughs> I was totally surprised by John Behai. I was actually probably more confused by what was happening rather than <laughs> than not understanding, I guess, I think the first time I read it. Because like, I, I think John Bahia's stuff is generally more confusing than surprising. 
I definitely liked like part three where we see Zhang Beihai actually on the ship that he's worked like his whole life to have exist on this ship that has the capacity to have interstellar travel. Um, and he even tells Dong Fan Yan Shu, like, do you know how much I've sacrificed for this ship? And it ends up being why he's willing to, you know, commit this devil act at the end. And he wants to save others from having to commit that. And yeah. I, I think that was more satisfying than Heinz. Like, I don't really know why Heinz subjected himself to the mental seal in either case. Like, it just wasn't as satisfying to have him, like, think water was toxic and then get cured of it. And then tell the PDC that he'd be used the mental seal on himself. So I just, I would rather follow Zhang Beihai's story. And one other thing I also kind of made a connection for was like, I, I think Tim also had said this, the part where the they talk about the procedure of the mental seal was really interesting. Like how they like how all these like procedures in place and like they have to ask them a bunch of times. And it reminded me of the beginning of the next book with the Yun Tian Ming's uh, euthanasia. Oh yeah, like where, very beginning. Like first yeah. like fifty pages or something. Yeah, like you need to like answer the same question like three times and like they give you they, I think like the answer is like in a different place every single time. So you can't just like keep pressing the same thing. And so that like, was the, such the a kind of, cool way to begin a book. Like I was like, yeah. whoa, we're like we barely started and there's like voluntary euthanasia and a man's life can just like get snuffed out in five questions. It's a really interesting start to a book. Yeah. I actually hadn't thought of it, but that it is a very similar procedure. Actually, I was, I was going to maybe save this for death end, but now that I'm thinking about it, uh, the, one of the things like when I was first reading death end, I was starting to get disappointed that we have uh Yun Tin Ming being yet another person in the same mold as, uh, Wang Miao and uh, Luaji in the beginning of it, uh, and I was like, "Oh man, another kind of nerdy guy, <laughs> nerdy guy who like longs <laughs> after some woman." But I mean, obviously, his story doesn't continue that way. But like, did you have any similar thoughts with that way? Like uh, when you first started reading Death End, uh, did I think that he was too similar to Wang Miao and Luaji? Yeah, I mean, like, and, and but like when you first started reading him, like, was it like uh, another guy in the same same kind of mold as these these other two guys? Uh, not for me personally. Um, mm. Part of it was that I thought, well, you know, this guy's terminal, so I'm not going to have to <laughs> put up with him even if I don't like him, which, you know, ended up being wrong. And I also found that he wasn't as like cringy as Luoji's pursuit of his dream lover, even though <laughs> you could definitely read Yun Tianming as like always thinking about Changshin and I don't I don't know. Maybe you could see it as pining, but I think it's just yeah. handled a lot more coherently. And I think that's even shown as like just the introduction of more characters and there's more to do. We see spoilers for the first 50 pages of Death's End. His high school or college classmate comes and he's like sold. He's been a franchiser and selling his tea, I think, uh, some kind of soft drink that's been very popular and he's come to give Yun Tianming a share that he thinks he owes him for coming up with, with the idea. And that's used as the bridge. That's used as the bridge to like, yes, Yun Tianming remembered that day that he, you know, told his friend the recipe. And he remembered mm. it because that was the day that he first spent time with Cheng Xin. And we're like, oh, cool. Sort of buried the lead. But actually, this <laughs> like amount of money and like this business success is like so minimized because this is like the day he meets the girl, whereas Luoji is just sort of like sitting around bored in a mansion is like, you know what? How about a girl? 
And the fact that like it's like a real person that he's pining after, and not just like some imaginary, some like yeah, that idealized helps too. version. Yeah. <laughs> Wang Liang, the beginning, you know, the first book, he's like pining out, he's taking secret photos of Yang Dong, and then also the yeah, book, Wang Liang's you know, wife has no personality at all. Yeah, yeah, at all. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess like because like we had got those two characters right in a row, even at this point, like we didn't know like how awesome the dude turns out to be, even at the end of the Dark Forest, he's sort of still kind of weird and not until he comes like the samurai cool guy that you know his character kind of turns yun tian could have been that same kind of character if he, if they'd follow the same kind of trajectory maybe he did that on purpose too right maybe like he set that up it's like all right here we go here's another guy and like you know that's another well i have another loads of... more to say on yun tian but again yeah. that's that's death <laughs> territory yeah we'll, we'll we'll save it for for uh next season <laughs> One of the things we also talked about a little bit was about you know if if we if we if we could figure out the the plans ahead of time and we'd also mentioned this in the main show like the the wall breakers has kind of come out of nowhere there's no setup for it um, so would you have liked to see more setup of the wall breakers maybe like coming up with their plans or like kind of figuring out like parts of their plans or that kind of thing or do you like the the big kind of surprise element and maybe go to a mean first yeah I I didn't mind the way it was done because. I'm sure this is my shortcoming, but I'm, I'm not really interested in any of the other wall breakers. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think if the other wall breakers' plans intersected with Luigi's or each other's plans more, it might have it might have mattered more. But they all seem so so isolated from each other that, and I think I talked about this maybe last episode of the episode before, where I felt like I could safely skim over that because that's not the hero story. So it was a distraction slash diversion so i i i didn't mind the way it was done and and i think i talked about this before i thought the way they they did like diaz's death i thought was well done it was just really matter of fact and biblical and mm-hmm. and just really quick um <laughs> i liked right. that i thought that was well written not i like watching people get stoned but i thought that was well written no i i didn't i didn't mind this approach at all yeah, I definitely agree with Amin. Like, it was very matter of fact to see the end of Ray Manuel Diaz, and it wasn't drawn out. As far as the wall breakers, um, I think that, again, if there, I, I also would be inclined to not think of this as the hero's story. And I think the only way that could have been combated is if I if we were given some reason to believe that there would be tension, because the way it's happening in part two is like the moment that your wall breaker comes to you and like plants himself in the room and announces your time is up. That's it. And if there was some way that we could see like why, because I mean, surely as soon as everyone sees these four wall breaker or three wall break, three wall facers, at least making plans, like look at Reddit. It's full of conspiracy theories. Everyone's (laughs) got their own like fan theory. I mean, WandaVision alone generated like 200 different fan theories that were all wrong. And why would the ETO be any different? Like, why are they legitimized? Why are they believed? Why can they leak to a major newspaper? So if we'd see anything like building up or like that they have their own propaganda arm that's like legitimizing them or like, I don't know, I just, it's a little easy to just say like, you know, I guess the right pattern. So you're done for where in fact... I don't think it's that simple. They talk about like they've released a lot of data, like as a big data dump. So maybe that lended more, more credence to their 
to their wall breaking. You know, it's like they really forgot the theory because I, I think that I don't remember the exact passage, but I remember them talking about like there were these like tons and tons and tons of information out there. So, and I think they also probably released the information they got from the Sofans too, because it's most. I think most of the the information they got was from the Sofans because the Sofans are both able to like monitor all the 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 wall facers. Plus, like they're able to read doc secret documents. You know, so they're able to do basically whatever and so i think they probably released a lot of information and like it's just too much to to uh too much information to to go against that was yeah. my read of it anyway okay i think the last thing i had was uh, i know tally you had mentioned before about there's that that forward phrase um the falling leaf returns seeks to return to the root uh mm. and so actually like in this chapter um one of the characters one of the old guy characters uh john gyan chow like actually says it and says uh john gyan chow shook his head saying you intellectuals with your weird ideas they're pointless the fallen leaf returns to the root i'm going to be buried in the yellow soil on the earth i don't know if like the decision just likes that phrase because like he's all also mentions it again in uh in death's end definitely it's a very popular phrase very big in pop culture i think it's yellow and yes it means that you know you want to go back to your ancestral home and mm. Guan Yifan at the very end of the third book is commenting on solar system humans and saying that was your fatal flaw. Like you're clinging to this clump of dirt and everyone seems to want to go back home. And that's not like a safe place and it's not the right place. And it doesn't seem to be something that humanity manages to let go of. What do you think? I mean, would you, um, if you knew that earth was doomed, would you, stick it out and have like a happy life until the end of earth or would you run away and try and seek your fortune if, if i knew earth was coming to an end i think i would just accept it and mm-hmm. live my life if it's if it's out of my control if it's something that's in my control I you can't stop it something. no you can't yeah, stop that, it that, then i yeah then i would be i would like to think that i would be very zen about the whole thing I would definitely jump on the opportunity to you know, get on one of the galactic ships and, and leave, <laughs> even if like it's like a hard life. Like you know, the choice of you know being around for the Earth being destroyed, the potential of you know new and exciting opportunities, even if like it doesn't even mean anything. At least there's like hope there. I'd be an escapist, I guess. <laughs> definitely like jump on those ships and get out. Hmm, nice. But but isn't isn't witnessing the end of Earth a once in a once in a life? Oh, once in a lifetime thing as well like mm. wouldn't you be curious what that would look and feel like uh not curious enough to <laughs> live through it <laughs> Def, no i'll just i'll read about it later yeah i'm sure i'm sure there'll be some broadcast about it yeah that's on tv i think i think at the end of the death end then they like see like uh, tv <laughs> shows of like things flattening right so like i'll, I'll watch that show like how, how about you talia what would you do Oh, man. I mean, I think it'd be pretty easy for me to just claim that I will like jump on a ship because, you know, I don't have any children and I wouldn't be like necessarily dooming anyone else. Like I only have responsibility for myself. So that seems more adventurous. And I think the whole concept of like children and descendants definitely gets like played around with it in an interesting way in this series. It's not sort of the automatic everyone cares about their own children and then that's the only narrative which is like especially strong in China because the protagonist in the third book is like an adopted woman who I think dies childless and yet she's the one who carries on all of civilization so there's definitely Mm -hmm. like flipping some ideas on their head 
And I remember like in the the beginning of like the next chapter, when they actually jump into the future, the they talk about like families uh, not being such an important thing anymore in marriage specifically, like marriage and families, like they're not important as important as they were in the, in the, in the past. Yeah. They sort of gloss over that, but we could talk about that next episode. Definitely. So next episode, what, what should I be, what should I be looking for in the next, in our next reading? So I would focus a lot on Heinz's plan and like, I don't know if you got to that point yet in your, in your reading for, for next episode, but like Heinz mm. is basically well broken for, for the next episode. I did plan. get to that part. You nice. did? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was in the previous reading or the next reading, so I didn't oh, say yeah. anything, but yeah, I got to that. And then like kind of think of like what that means. And then yeah, specifically like Zhang Beihai, his stuff that happens, you know, more towards the end of the, the next episode. So I would like, really like focus on like what he's doing uh, and sort of like the signs that kind of lead up to that are, are really important. And what happens with the like, G at the next episode? I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, all the comical stuff of, you know, like the, <laughs> of him almost getting killed like a million times, like happens in this one. So, but uh, I think like this episode, this next one is, there's a lot of kind of world building um, because we jump 200 years into the future or 180 years into the future. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff that kind of, you kind of, he has to get caught back up on. And a lot of stuff I found like super interesting, like talking about like what happened since he went into hibernation until, until the current time. But yeah, I think like Heinz and, uh, and John Behai have probably the most important story points, I think, to really focus on. Um, I will say on the last page of this part, we close with everyone sort of dying. Like, you know, Kent mm. goes to Luoji's old house and like finishes his days in anonymity and Zhang Yuan Chao dies and is buried in the yellow soil, like Dan said, and the intellectual is shot into space. Like basically people on earth are dying except for Ding Yi, who decides to hibernate. So I'd maybe keep an eye out for him because he has like more to do in the next part. And he's like a badass. I think he like wants his way. He wants to be on the ship that goes to intercept the aliens first. And they say, no, no, like you're not military. And finally he's like, I will commit suicide unless I will like kill myself right here. Unless you let me. And they're like, all right, then. And we get to see Dasher again. He comes back. Oh, yeah. Then more time with him. And he does lots of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you like this last part? I know, you know, we've been reading this in three parts. What did you think of, of this second part? Um, yeah, I I like I liked it. I I think the next the next part as I started reading it about I don't know they jump forward however many years they jump forward. Mm-hmm. I thought that was more interesting to me. But I understand that they had to do all of these parts to get to that part. So yeah, I I, I like it more now that I've read ahead of it. I, I think I liked it less as I was reading it. I appreciate it more now that I'm reading ahead. Yeah, I'm interested to see like one of the things I want to talk to to you and Tim about in the main show is like you know what do you think about the hard cut? Like, is it kind of off-putting? Like, oh, wait, I just, you know, spent like 300 pages in the, in, you know, in the, in the current world. And now we're like kind of banning it all to, you know, just focus on a couple of main characters. But yeah, we can talk more about it on the, on the main show. So listeners, you should listen to the main show too, if you're not already. Yeah. Well, Talia and Dan, thanks for spoiling Dark Forest and Death's End for me. And thank you everyone else for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next episode for Natural Selection, the first third of part three of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. Thanks.